Uh, welcome back to Pot de I'm your host, Jessica. And I'm your host, Clara. And we're actually really, really excited. We have some great news today that we want to share with you. We set up, thanks to Jessica, a fall performance calendar for New York City. Um, Jessica put together this amazing grid with all of these fall performances happening throughout the city. And it's available for download on our website. It's, you know, really easy. You just click on the big pink button that says get your fall dance calendar here. And I think enter your email. So, you know, you'll be on our email list if you aren't already. And you'll get your calendar. Yeah, and this season really promises to be very exciting. It's the mm-hmm. first time in a long time that I've been really excited. Like, really? there's almost too much to see. Well, every year I'm really excited. <laughs> but this year especially so. There's just a lot of really mm-hmm. great established dance choreographers and artists who are presenting work all mm-hmm. over the city, but also some new things that I'm interested in checking out and just learning about. Uh, anything come to mind just in a snap give us like a tiny preview of some of the names on the list Um, Yeah, in each category (laughs) so there's a lot of really great work being performed at BAM and Mm. the Joyce there are many choreographers Ann Teresa de Kiersmacher John Mm. Jaspers um, Shen Wei and those are all established but non-balletic is that right? They're pretty established modern mm-hmm. dance choreographers. They're mo- moder- established modern dance choreographers, the names you just heard. Cool. And Teresa de Kiersmacher being the most established, and she's very influential in the modern dance I'm canon. I'm so curious to see her. I don't think I've ever seen her work, at least not that I like internalized and remembered. And remember, she taught that workshop at Impulse Dance, and we interviewed um, that fascinating participant. And then we lost the footage. It was really, really upset and weren't able to get in touch and get a replacement interview but he had been talking about the workshop she did there yeah there's so many fascinating performances i'm also excited to check out some new dance like maria hasabi at the kitchen Mm. what's the kitchen um it's a creative space that presents a lot of music and dance and Mm. some theater works too so it's really multimedia Mm. they're also presenting jerome bell and jerome bell is also presenting a work at the joyce shortly thereafter so he's presenting two works Hmm. and also something else that's new to me is Monchichi which is being presented at BAM and that's supposed to be a mix of hip-hop and classical ballet oh my god that's cool they're inspired by that so that should be interesting I want to see that that's Mm -hmm. so cool I have a secret wish to be able to do hip-hop that's all I just want to be able to do it (laughs) because I can't and what I'm most excited about seeing is C.D. Larby Cherkawi presenting two nights of a new work or fairly new work as part of the white light festival hmm. where's the white light festival is that bam it's presented in various theaters oh okay but it's a lincoln center sort of production hmm. so are all of these kind of modern choreographers running the gamut of yeah um, yeah really running the gamut but most of the choreographers on my list are actually modern dance based yeah. Um, some of which, of course, are influenced by the ballet canon, but mostly modern dance. Yeah. And, of course, on the it's list, awesome. there are also a lot of ballet and contemporary mm-hmm. ballet performances as well. I'm actually really excited yeah. to see Natalia Osipova mm-hmm. perform her own show at City Center. That should be interesting. And she's also performing with her boyfriend, Sergei Polunin. The lost boy of ballet. <laughs> <laughs> And she's performing a lot of interesting choreographers' works, one of which is actually C.D. Larby Cherkawi also. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, we are interviewing Reed Bartlemy today, and we actually interviewed him about a year ago, so we definitely encourage everyone to listen to that interview part one to get more background on Reed. Today we'll really just be jumping in and um, diving deeper on some of his costume work, etc. So for more information about Reed, um, definitely scroll down on Pata or do a a search um, or find him in iTunes. Uh, the episodes are all there, so you can scroll down. All right, we'll get started. We wanted to bring him back in the studio and pick up where we left off last time, because last time we spoke, we talked a lot about Reed's dance performance career and how he initially entered the world of dance costume design. But we wanted to bring him back and dig a little bit deeper into the design process and also talk more about trends in the dance world in general since Reed occupies a very special place in which he works with more creative downtown dance presenters as well as the more institutional ballet world. So welcome back, Reed. Hi. Thanks for being here again. Gladly. 
on another weekend early in the morning. Yes. Here we are. <laughs> and uh, we're just going to dive in. So if anybody needs more background on Reed, and I'm sure you'll all be fascinated and curious if you haven't uh, listened to episode one, go back and listen to episode one. All of our episodes are on iTunes and podadid.com. So scroll on down, find Reed part one, and here we go with Reed part two. Yay. Am I the first part two? Yes. You are. You might be the only part two ever. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> Very fancy. We'll see. So I wanted to start off with a question. So you mentioned in your last interview that your designs are rooted in this sort of classicism and have a very direct aesthetic, um, which I can say is very true from what I've seen of your work. And other people have commented that your designs even look wearable on the street. By other people, I really mean me. (laughs) Um, And in addition to that aesthetic, how does your background as a dancer inform your design and generally speaking, how you actually collaborate with choreographers. Right. I guess it's like, it's hard to definitively say exactly what we do aesthetically because it it shifts quite a bit between our clients. We have different mm. things we do for different people, but I suppose in general, we keep things pretty simple. Mm-hmm. And Harry and I do value uh, wearable clothing, sort of over most things we are moving into a a more decorative phase where we're getting Mm. more excited about color and embellishment and things like that but I guess my background as a dancer is always helpful just in having worn so many (laughs) dance costumes though I have to say like in my experience wearing dance costumes I didn't take a lot of notice of what was going on I just sort of let people put clothes on me and because when I think mm-hmm. about the clothes I wore, I don't remember, like, how they closed or what parts of them were stretched or mm-hmm. – I don't remember. Yeah. It's sort of like let people dress me and went on stage. I think, too, there's an element of trust where you're just like, they know what they're doing. Yeah. When you're surrounded by people who are pretending to know what they do or at least, <laughs> you know, kind of know what they do, you have to – you believe them. Now when I have to wear a costume, it's almost always a traumatic experience because oh. I'm so hyper aware <laughs> of – everything and how uncomfortable I am. So I feel I feel bad dressing people most of the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> huh. You mean because you have done costumes now yourself, you're aware of where costumes other people are putting on you are kind of going wrong? Or, or even if I'm putting the costume on me, which has oh. happened the last couple of times I've been on stage. Oh. I like I was dancing for Jack Fervor this spring and yeah. I designed the costumes hmm. and I felt so exposed because in my mind, I was like, oh, my character has to wear footed tights. I have not worn footed tights in so many years that mm. the feeling of wearing footed tights was awful. So I'm very sensitive to other people's discomfort in costumes. I know like how profoundly the feeling of a costume can affect your performance or your mm. whole state of mind. You forget. I also don't dance much anymore, so mm. I shouldn't be putting on footed tights. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so why do you think you're moving into a more decorative phase? Where do you think that impulse is coming from? That's a really good question. I don't know. Harry and I sort of tend to share in the kind of development of our interests. And I don't know mm-hmm. if that's because we spend all of our time together yeah. work-wise or we go to museums together and we see performances together. But right now we're moving away from this very kind of flat minimal aesthetic and then taking into consideration texture and color more seriously. And, you know, in the past, Harriet and I have been very sensitive to subtle coloration and Mm -hmm. making sure, like, shades of gray or nude or white and black are very specific. But Mm -hmm. um, we're getting more excited about bold colors. And Mm. I think it's because in the last couple years we've been seeing some pieces other designers have done that have been really colorful and... Um, and, you know, when you see that that can be really successful, then it makes you want to kind of explore that yourself. Interesting. Very cool. So when you're actually working with choreographers, do they tend to be specific about what they want? Or how do you work with them to conceptualize your end design? And how do you listen to the piece or their concept to come up with your ideas? It's it's really different. The process is really different for each choreographer. And mm. the, nowadays, Harriet and I have a sort of steady stable of different choreographers we work with. And there's maybe six people we work with pretty regularly. 
Mm -hmm. um, and each of them has a really different method of working with us. Some of them give us some design prompts before they've started working. So we, we get to start designing before any dance has been made. Mm -hmm. And often that has to do with music or a backdrop or some other kind of decor. Like when we work with Pam Tanowitz, her her aesthetic for costume is always about the the decor of the space. So oh. if the piece is happening in the Joyce Theater, oh. there's going to be some element of the actual physical theater space that's going to be reflected in the costumes. Oh, so you don't mean just the space like the set. You mean the actual The actual theater. theater. Oh, wow. Yeah, so when I did a piece for her at Guggenheim Works in Process... The costumes were totally based on this Ellsworth Kelly sculpture that usually sits in the theater rotunda, but it mm. wasn't there because it was away for repair. So oh. I brought it into the costumes to like return it to the space. Oh, okay. And now for the piece Harriet and I are working on for the Joyce Theater, which is a, a program called Quadrille that Lara Lubavitch has conceived of, mm -hmm. where it's going to be in the round so you can see the the piece from all sides. Oh, nice. um, we're incorporating some surprise elements of the theater into the costume, so you'll have to come see. Cool. Yeah. yeah. The first piece I did for her at the yeah. Joyce was all about the red velvet curtain, so the costumes were um, red velvet, because at some point the curtain came all, almost all the way down, so you just saw their little feet hmm. dancing under it, and oh, one cool. dancer came out in front of the red curtain, so had to be like a match. And when that piece is traveled, there's always discussion of like, can we remake the costumes in blue velvet for the blue <laughs> curtain or which mm -hmm. doesn't end up happening so usually they flood whatever curtain it is with a ton of red light to kind of oh. shift the color oh really instead cool. of trying to flood the stage with the light of the curtain i almost feel like that'd be easier to change like the red velvet well i guess it's the same oh to thing change the way. costume color? yeah like the red velvet i could picture if you flood it with blue light looking kind of blue on stage but I guess that also changes the mood of the piece. So Yeah. yeah. I don't know. That sounds so easy. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Interesting stuff. That's fascinating. And um, I can identify with the fact that you work differently with different choreographers. And mm -hmm. I think that's just a great process to have in general because mm -hmm. that means that you are really listening to who you're working with. Oh, yeah. Always. Um, some choreographers come to, us, come to us with very little, hmm. which leaves things very open for us, which can be good and can be frustrating or can be a little bit too broad. Because mm -hmm. if you don't know anything about this dance, it's hard to find a point to start off, like a bouncing off point. Mm -hmm. So it's always nice to have a little a little something to to move from. So in situations like that, would you ask them for some prompts or information? Yeah, we'd usually talk to them about the mood of the piece. And then Harriet mm -hmm. and I would put together collections of images that we're interested in oh. that sort of bring together groups of color or kind of um, visual feeling. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this yeah. is going to be highly geometric or this is going to be a very kind of expressionist feeling clothing-wise. Mm -hmm. So we can put together, uh, for lack of a better word, a mood board and then work from that. I might have asked you this last time, but I forgot. Do you use Pinterest or do you like pull magazine clippings? Pinterest. I I'm newly I'm newly in love with Pinterest. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, the problem with Pinterest is that it can keep returning you to the same imagery over and over. But mm -hmm. there, it, it is sort of an, a remarkable storage of images. There's a lot to pull from on there. Yeah, and it's awesome. it's a nice way of keeping it all organized and knowing where it came from. Yeah. In the past, we we would approach the design process much in the same way we were approaching it in school in a mm. kind of a fashion way. So we'd, we'd provide them with all these options because mm. in school, if you're designing like a 12 look group of clothes, you would in development process, you would draw over like a hundred looks, but just oh. little thumbnail sketches. And then you'd edit, edit, edit until mm. you get to, you know, a conclusion. Um, and so I would do things like that for choreographers in the past. And, as time has moved on and we know our clients better and they know us better, we don't give them so many options mm -hmm. just because it makes life a lot less confusing. And we take care of the editing process before we approach the client with any imagery. Is that mostly because you know the clients well, or would you say even with a new client as a best practice that you think it's better not to give them too many options? Yeah, I think start? these days it's best not to give too many options because I mm -hmm. think it can be confusing mm -hmm. for the choreographer who doesn't have 
uh, like an editing eye when it comes to fashion. So mm. it's just best to give them a couple different options. Uh-huh. Yeah. So part of that question, too, is kind of how you, I think we worded it, listen to the piece while it's developing. Do your designs um, develop quite a bit based on the choreography as you see it unfolding or see the piece coming together? Well, sometimes we get to see choreography before we have finalized designs Mm -hmm. and sometimes we don't so I guess it really depends sometimes there's no dance at all and the designs have to be submitted okay so um Mm. it is it is nice when we get to see a a rough draft of a dance before we design because it really gives you like a finite feeling for what it's going to be and also gives you a sense of like what are the how the costumes are going to need to function like are there going to be problems with sliding on knees or how flexible do these clothes need to be so just in terms of logistics it's helpful to see the dance before you complete the designs that makes sense um that makes sense too because i was thinking about how it's really interesting that you're working with choreographers over and over again and so you know their creative process you know what they tend to perhaps like or go for in their creative process and I just I think it's interesting that you become an extension of the choreography itself and I mean you very much are a part of the creative process Mm -hmm. and so do you find that with certain choreographers like you have helped them dig deeper into their process or does working with them over time help in any way I I do think so. I think right now we're in this really wonderful kind of fruitful relationship with Pam Tanowitz. And Mm. I think our work with her has been really informative both ways. And Mm. I think because she has so much trust in us, it's allowed her to explore ideas that maybe she wouldn't otherwise have tried Mm because she has a lot of faith in us as garment designers. So, yeah, sometimes it feels very... Uh, symbiotic in that way. It's funny because so many artists uh, like their art to speak for themselves and as choreographers many would say well the dance sort of speaks for itself I don't want to describe it too much but mm-hmm. it sounds like much of the time they actually you have to rely on them describing what their piece is going to be or what the mood will be and what the movement will look like if you, you, yeah. know, you get to see it. So I don't know I just find that funny. It has to be put into words. In you know? some, yeah or images. And oh, right, yep. You know mm-hmm. like Justin Peck will sometimes just give us some images or all we'll have to work from is the backdrop for the piece and Mm. sometimes that's and the music Justin always begins with music so that's what we get Mm -hmm. which is fine and I like I like that because then you get to you get to kind of explore the process choreographically too in a weird way yeah so speaking of like timing and process I imagine when Justin Peck is making a piece he doesn't necessarily have a lot of time Mm-hmm. to make pieces but i'm also just basing that off of ballet 422 that's true he 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 makes them fast mm-hmm. um so at what point in the process do you typically come in and at what point do you work with other individuals such as the set designers mm-hmm. and the lighting designers generally speaking how does when does everyone come into play right well in processes with justin we we almost always know we're designing the piece before any dance has been made and also at that point if there's going to be decor that's also been decided upon so we come in very early in the process in that situation and often the clothes are already being built for the piece right as rehearsals are beginning or sometimes even before Um, Mm -hmm. but with other people they've already completed their dance because they've been working on it for half a year or they've been workshopping it at residencies. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, you guys come in and watch the dance and make some designs for, for it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, either way is fine as long as we have enough time from that point until the premiere. Mm-hmm. I mean, the worst case scenario is when they come to you and they're like, oh, we made this dance and someone else already designed it. And we don't like the designs. Well, you have to redesign it and it's in a week or two weeks or whatever. Mm. Oh, yeah. And mm. then that's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. That's not fun in any situation. Up all night. No. So do you work with the set and lighting designers usually? Yeah. our rela- Like the closeness of our relationship to the set and lighting designers really varies. Mm. Sometimes we work very closely with them and mm-hmm. we exchange 
a lot of color standards and we talk about mood and we talk about um, saturation and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. In some situations, you barely you barely meet them and it all just mm. like comes together uh, mm. individually. That always freaks me out a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, do they at least in some cases, even if you're not working closely, have... Uh, a picture of what you're working on or what the costumes will look like? Yeah, generally, the especially the lighting designers tend to come in last. Mm -hmm. So they'll have the imagery okay. and then they'll work from, from that. Mm -hmm. um, and then we come in during those technical rehearsals while they're adjusting um, levels, et cetera. And mm -hmm. we make sure that the colors of the costumes are true. Okay. Because a lot of times what happens is, is you come into the theater and they're lighting a dance and you're like, what? whose costumes are those? Yeah. Because we certainly didn't pick those colors. Mm -hmm. So what you're looking at are cl colors that have been shifted by the color of the light. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the lighting designer might want the stage to have like a purpley feeling, but the purple completely changes the color of your costumes and it's like a nightmare. Yeah, I've always been surprised by how much the lighting on stage can really change the color of the fabric. It's like crazy. it blows my mind Science. sometimes. Yeah, it's and wild. Black, my mom is a fashion designer and she's always said black is the hardest color to match. And you can see under those lights how yeah. it can become brown and purple and like totally. everything. There's it turns so many colors, but yeah. um we just have to, we've gotten better about being assertive and mm -hmm. we work a lot with the same lighting designers so oh. we can be honest with them and be like you know that green top looks gray can you please turn it back to green yeah because mm -hmm. you want to be sensitive to them as well because it's their if you're asking them to change something too much then they're losing the integrity of what they designed yeah or perhaps the mood because i feel like lighting impacts the mood so much yeah. and maybe the choreographer tells you what you want they want the mood to be, and you design the costumes accordingly, accordingly, and then the lighting designer has to kind of create that mood, so hopefully it all works out. Yeah. You know? Do you have any recent examples of interesting projects that you've worked on, or um, maybe even dramatic or interesting situations? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Our last piece we did with Justin, actually we're working on another one with him now, which is a redesign in Cincinnati, but... That has its own set of complications because we're working on it remotely. So oh. we sent them drawings and we sent them fabrics and mm -hmm. explanations. But then you can only do so much because we're not there. So then what we get back are photographs of things. Mm -hmm. And then you're just doing damage control. Oh, wow. So that's just like can be a total nightmare, oh. which it has been. Great. <laughs> um, but the last piece we did for him was a piece that premiered in, during their Saratoga season, which was called um, Scherzo Fantastique. And it's a short Stravinsky piece. And mm -hmm. we were working, he's work, he was working with a, a visual artist named Jules de Ballancourt, who made a, a painting, which is the backdrop. And mm -hmm. so we were working from that with the costumes. But really, that was it in terms of prompts. So we kind of did what, whatever we wanted. And that was really wonderful for Harry and I, because we got to do crazy colors and work with fringe and the New York City Ballet costume shop is so adept with building that mm -hmm. you can kind of ask anything of them and they do it well oh, so great. we did something that was somewhat complicated and they did it I mean really beautifully so that'll go up in the winter mm. here for New York City Ballet which will be oh. nice. Oh great. What's the piece called? It's called Scherzo Fantastique. That wasn't particularly dramatic. I don't know if that was mm -hmm. a good story. Um, <laughs> but it's an story. interesting story in that it highlights your process when you're working with a large company who mm -hmm. does have a lot of expertise in actually putting the costumes together. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just like those two examples of the two Justin pieces highlight both the benefits and the, the downfall of working, of being a little bit out of control. Mm -hmm. When Harriet and I work on small projects for modern dance companies or freelance choreographers, we're in total control because we do the build in-house. Ah. So from start to finish, it's our process. Mm -hmm. We do the fabric sourcing. We do any dyeing if there is any. We do pattern development. We do cutting. We do sewing. We do all of it. Mm -hmm. So in that way, we have 100% control. Like nothing's going to nothing's gonna be a big surprise. Right. Wow. Whereas when you're working with other costume shops – you know, there are some shops we have a relationship with where we know the work is going to be beautiful. We know it's going to exceed anything we could have done on our own. Mm -hmm. And that's always just such a relief. 
But sometimes you're working even at a shop attached to a big ballet company and the work can be, you know, really bad. Mm. And that's a surprise. And often it's like, I wish we'd done it ourselves. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So in that case, you would be designing and then they would be creating the costumes? In a right. So sewing. when we're working for, you know, many ballet companies, even moderate size ballet companies have mm-hmm. their own costume shops. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with the exception of San Francisco Ballet and American Ballet Theater, who don't have costume shops. Oh, oh really? I didn't realize that. I just assumed everyone How had them. How does ABT them? get <laughs> ABT used to source almost exclusively from a shop called Barbara Matera, but then that mm. shop is gone. So oh they work with a lot of theatrical costume shops mm. around New York City. So when we work with them, we, there's a budget that then gets outsourced to a, a costume shop or two different costume shops around town who oh. handle various aspects of whatever design we're working on. Yeah. Um, but like New York City Ballet has an excellent in-house shop. Pacific Northwest mm-hmm. Ballet has an excellent shop. Even like Oregon Ballet Theater, I found ex- they did excellent work. Austin mm-hmm. Ballet, excellent work. But mm-hmm. then, Good. you know, some, some I won't mention, even big <laughs> ballet companies have shops where you're like, this is bad. Wow. But, yeah, San Francisco Ballet also outsources to production elsewhere. Hmm. I imagine with a certain size cast, it would get to be too much for you two to make all of the costumes, right? Or do you hire people? That's true. We won't take those jobs. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I mean, I guess we've done production for up to, I don't know, like 20 costumes. But even that Mm -hmm. is like we we hire in stitchers to come work with us in our studio because it's too much for us to handle yeah. on our own with our little hands. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, currently, what does your shop look like? Um, I think last time we spoke, you said that you had a studio at Abrams Art Center. Mm-hmm. That's still where we are. The Abrams Art Center has so so graciously houses us. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a... What the room is, is it's, it used to just be like a costume storage and laundry room where oh. incoming theater groups or dance groups would do the wash Mm -hmm. but then the whole there's this other side of it that was all these racks of old rotting costumes and at some point somebody brought it to my attention oh maybe you should make use of this space Mm -hmm. actually it was Robert LaFosse who used to be in charge of education there and then Mm -hmm. Jay Wegman who was the director of Abrams Art Center one day was like when are you moving into that space (laughs) and I was like am I can I Mm -hmm. so (laughs) Harry and I went in a couple winters ago and we threw away just tons of garbage basically Wow! and moved every all the production stuff that I was housing in my apartment oh my into God. this space so it was like mm. all of a sudden we had so much more room and mm. what that consists of is a cutting table two industrial straight stitchers oh. an industrial serger um a nice domestic machine that can do some zigzagging and also mm. another domestic serger and then a fancy iron. There's washer dryer in there and then lots of storage for our patterns and fabrics. And Oh, great. Yeah. Cool. I mean, it doesn't have windows, but otherwise yeah. it's mm-hmm. okay. Were you able to salvage any of the rotting costumes, even just to pull apart and use some of the fabric? No. Oh, man. It's too bad. No, it's okay. <laughs> they were bad. They were bad. They were old. Yeah. <laughs> Huh. There was a few things we we put away in bins for Abrams if they wanted to make future use of it, stuff that okay. wasn't completely destroyed. Okay. We didn't just, like, you know, burn it in a pile outside. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. This, um, this might not be a question where there's even an answer to it, but I've always been really critical of how the sets and the costumes work together when mm-hmm. I see a show, and I'm... I guess I always just blame it on the director if they have costumes and sets that are garishly badly matched or, like, really not pleasing to the eye because I feel like they don't know anything about costumes. You know, that's just Mm. my bias. I'm like, oh, well, they clearly didn't know what they were doing. But think now thinking and learning more about the process, it sounds like, I mean, who knows where where the ball gets dropped or whatever because it could be that the set designer never saw the costumes or maybe the costume didn't know what the set would look like. Um, But how do you, it sounds like you often have a sense of what the backdrop would look like. How do you manage to create costumes that at, at once don't blend in to the background but also don't clash like how do you hit right that? well clashing with the backdrop would only occasionally be the goal and mm. i mean i guess there I would see. there would sometimes be a situation where you'd want that to happen okay um 
blending into the backdrop also is another time where you'd have to really you'd have to take you'd have to really consider that um and want to do that and i've seen many pieces where that's been really beautifully done like mm. a kind of camouflage costume which is mm. um there's a cunningham piece called summer space where rauschenberg did that where the costumes mm. and where the decor and the unitards are the same okay and also mm. isaac mizrahi did a piece for mark morris called bow for the san francisco ballet where the backdrop and the costumes are exactly the same Mm. So sometimes it's just like this really beautiful idea to do that. And then yeah. other times you want to bring the costumes a little bit forward mm -hmm. from the backdrop. So mm -hmm. uh, we at one time were working with Justin on a project for Miami City Ballet. And the backdrop was this big shepherd fairy painting that was mm -hmm. very much like what a shepherd fairy painting usually is. It was yeah. very deep reds and kind of um, ambery tones. And it was sort of had a lot of uh, sort of curved lines. And so it was like, how do we relate to this without losing the dancers into it? So mm -hmm. we just made the dancers, everything was ivory. So like mm -hmm. they immediately came forward from the, from the piece, but we incorporated some curved style lines on the clothes just to like relate, but loosely. Oh, yeah. I never even thought of that. Having the lines also relate to right. the, Backdrop. I guess there are color theories too, right? Oh, like for this, sure. Like kind of color palettes that look good together. Yeah. And yeah, but aren't the same color. For his scherzo piece, you'll, if you go see it in the winter, it's somewhere. It lies somewhere between like camouflage and I don't even know what because we did pull a mm. lot of color from the from the painting that Jules did, but mm. it, it's just kind of wild. Mm. So like you can't help but kind of see individuals. But it's kind of a big color mush. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This piece is sounding more and more fascinating. I yeah. have to definitely see it. <laughs> so I recently saw a Trey McIntyre piece mm -hmm. that you had designed for that Ballet X presented at the Joyce very recently, I think just last month. And it had an interesting headpiece, which mm -hmm. I was impressed that even stayed on the dancers' heads. Um, tell us about that process and how that came about. Well, Trey is someone that I've been working with for a few years, and I've known him for a really long time. Um, and it's a, a you know a design relationship that is really great because Trey is so enthusiastic and involved in the art process of the piece because he mm. has he has one of these kind of tangential minds that's always moving all over the place. So he's always coming to us with strange ideas, and mm -hmm. um, we kind of have to rein them in because we can only do so much because right. generally the pieces we're doing for him, Harry and I produce them in house. So we have to, we have to like let our, our imaginations run wild. And then we have to rein it in when we start to consider production. This particular piece was um, a dance he was making for Bally X, which is another one of our favorite groups to work with because the dancers are so great and mm. we really like the directors and, mm -hmm. um, he was making uh, a piece to Amy Winehouse music. And he came to us with this idea of S&M bunnies. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, that seems very clear in one way. But, mm -hmm. you know, visually that can go in many directions. Totally. So um, the headpiece was really the starting off point. And he kept describing this these bunny ears he's like i want them to to elude to rabbit's ears but i i want them to be um more plant like he sent me these images mm. of these strange plants i can't remember what they're called mm. but mm -hmm. um he's like and i want them to be huge and i want them to be sculptural and um they need to wear them the whole piece and wow. i was like oh my god <laughs> i can only oh imagine <laughs> so we that i mean i think we've never been through such a thorough design process production wise as we did with those hats i mean from where we started i i'd send him drawings and then we'd refine and refine and refine until the shape of the ear was was what he was envisioning i guess or what we were all excited about mhm mm and then it was a matter of like, how do you execute this in a way that's light enough to not disrupt the dancer's movement, but stable enough to not fall apart? Because they were so tall. 
Right. Um, and every time I would make a sample, he'd be like, can it be taller? Can it be taller? Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and so we, you know, Harry and I come from a fashion background. And in that education, mm-hmm. you know, it's not it's not a sculpture education, nor is right. it a millinery mm-hmm. education. <laughs> yeah. So we were kind of figuring it out as we went and asking a lot of questions of other people who have like more sculpture experience. And mm-hmm. there's material that's thermoplastic called Foss shape. Mm. which is like uh, felt, but it's made of like little plastic fibers. So imagine it feels just like felt, but then if you were to like drape it over a ball, you Mm. could heat it with an iron or with a steamer and it would sort of take on that curve. And then when you removed it, it would be hard. Oh, great. So we, that material was invaluable for us because we ended up building the whole hat from it mm. um, in the we, hardened state or in the well, fabric state in it's really it was quite a process so mm. you would sew it together in pieces pattern pieces to be the shape of the head hat part okay and then you'd place that in soft form over a head form okay and then you'd iron it to become hard like a helmet mm-hmm and all the bumps and everything would go away mm-hmm. and then you'd trim it to be like exactly the shape that you'd want it for the head. Then we had to make a sculpture of the shape of the ear. I was just insane. (laughs) Make a sculpture of the shape of the ear in order to take these flat kind of bunny ear shapes and then iron them over this three-dimensional almost bottom of a boat kind of shape. And then it also had these tabs that would come around to form um, like a tube at the front. And then you'd place that over like a a cardboard packing tube and you'd iron that. And then it had to, those two things had to be sewn on by hand to this already hardened hat. So then you just have like bloody fingers. It was really insane. Oh my goodness. Did you have to take a a mold of each dancer's head so that you were molding We just did different sizes. So we had like a few different sized head forms and then there was a wedge cut out at the very back of the head with elastic. So it could kind of adjust a little bit for each dancer. Okay. And um, there was... There was something else I can't recall. Oh, and then it was like there was a, two, two different kinds of elastic sewn on to hold it onto the head. Mm-hmm. And then they were spray painted. Wow. It was insane. Oh, my God. What a process. I <laughs> cannot believe that was the process that went into it. But I have to say it stayed on everyone's heads perfectly. Yeah. And they were really tall. I, that's why I was yeah. just so surprised. I mean, the original ones that we made were... We're, we had to make two sets. We had to make a set for them to rehearse in and then a set for them to perform in. And the rehearsal ones sort of dis- disintegrated because we we ended up, we put some plastic boning down the whole length of the ear sewn in. Mm-hmm. And for the for the rehearsal ones, we just did like one strip of boning thing, like it's funny. Mm-hmm. And then for the actual performance, it had to like double up on everything oh, wow. in order for things to be stable because they... You know, eventually the ears would flop over or mm-hmm. the hat would just sort of crumble. But we, we, we got it down to a science where they seem to be holding up. And, you know, they've been performing in them for like half a year now, which is great. Wow. Yeah. How tall was the final product? I think the ears are a couple feet high. So, okay. like a nightmare, oh. basically. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to picture these creatures in my nightmares, perhaps. Exactly. Um, but again, it, I think it really says a lot about your process. And how you ask questions, and it sounds like you prototype and then build from there. And the fact that it was executed so well for what could have really been a nightmare project says a lot about your process. So thank you. We, I mean, (laughs) we 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 take a lot of pride in stuff, especially when we like the thing we're working on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And Trey, we tend to really like the pieces he makes, so it's Mm -hmm. all the more inspiring for us to do a good job that's great how often do you find that um you have to make significant adjustments after the dress rehearsal like you find that something in the dress rehearsal is coming apart oh god (laughs) um hopefully that doesn't happen very often it does happen Mm. on occasion okay that's good um there has been situations where there's a dress rehearsal and then you're like that garment doesn't work i'm going to go to studio right now and make completely make a different thing yeah um we did a piece for Pam last spring at the Joyce that was very, it was very um, wearable. It was mm-hmm. it was clothing that mm-hmm. you would find on people 
as opposed to specifically for a dance piece. And that was a process where we would make the thing, we would see it on the dancer, and then we'd be like, oh, we'll just remake it in another fabric. It was just a situation where we ended up making those clothes sort of over and over again. Mm-hmm. And not and we weren't frustrated or angry about it, it just was mm-hmm. like it had to it had to make more sense. So you just go back and you remake it and sometimes it mm-hmm. it's down to the wire. In the past I used to when I worked at home I would like stay up till one or two in the morning doing these kinds of things, but our studio mm-hmm. closes at ten, so oh. that's great for us. We get to go uh-huh. home and go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Although there has been a couple of times this year where Harriet and I whoops mm-hmm. where Harriet and I have had to go back to my house and work at home until late at night. But mm-hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, that's good. Have a cutoff. Yeah. Have a space. Very adult. (laughs) So I kind of wanted to cover a recent article that was written about you by Gia Corliss in the Mm -hmm. New York Times. So according to this article, Gia basically states that you have inspired ballet dancers and choreographers to broaden their horizons and more or less just embrace other parts of the dance world in New York City. And um, she even mentioned some examples. For example, Jack Fervor is now embracing ballet and seems to have taken a real liking to it. Mm -hmm. And um, you have also introduced other ballet dancers and choreographers to more creative, more downtown dance sort of works. Right. What has that been like? Well, it's all sort of inadvertent. I didn't set out to to do that, but having come from a ballet background and then coming to New York and kind of getting into this very eclectic dance community, it just was like I had ballet dancer friends and I had modern dancer friends and performance art friends. And so it just felt logical for me to to bring my friends to one thing or the other. Mm-hmm. So uh, with someone like Jack it's really logical that he would become obsessed with ballet because Mm -hmm. he is obsessed with formalism in one way. And Martha Graham was a huge inspiration for him Mm -hmm. as a young maker and performer. So I think the only reason I like brought him into knowing ballet is because like, it isn't something that he had really explored on his own. I think because there's a stigma, you know, from both ends. Yeah. Like I think for people downtown to like go up to, to state theater to see the ballet they wouldn't really they wouldn't normally consider it because it's like mm-hmm. it's not their crowd yeah right. you know you say to jack like oh, i want to bring you to the ballet mm-hmm. he's like oh god like <laughs> go uptown and be oh, with god. those people <laughs> but then you know you bring them and they're like they're so excited about it or mm. someone like jack is so excited about it because mm. it really like the work of balanchine like appeals to him mm-hmm. on so many levels mm. totally so he's firmly a modern, he was at least. Well, Jack comes from a theater background in acting. Theater. Oh. And then he got really interested in dance. And so now he makes theater dance, dance theater. I don't know what you call oh, it. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. And I've seen a couple of his pieces, one in mm-hmm. which you performed, which was an homage to, I believe the name was. What was it like? I saw it at the at the American Realness Festival, not this past year, but the year before. Oh yeah, what was that one called? I can't remember what it's oh, called. Oh, Nightlight Bright Light. Nightlight Bright Light. Yeah, good job. You guys have both probably Memory. seen upwards of two hundred performances yeah. since then. So I didn't even know what it was called. I was in it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that actually prompted me to look more into the subject matter and learn about the history mm. of mm. the person that Freddie the piece. Herco. Freddie Herco, yes. And I learned a lot about him, and I didn't really know much about the character. But it made sense why some of the choices were made as to your entrance with point shoes Uh and you're, like, huffing and puffing and walking through the audience all the way up to the stage. Because, you know, I just want to know what the heck was that about. (laughs) But then once I researched it after, I said, oh, that makes sense. That was actually a piece that... That Freddie did. Yeah, that he did. Interesting. Yeah, Freddie was an interesting figure in the 60s who I, you know, I relate to in that way because he had come from formal training and then became involved in this sort of esoteric art and dance community and um, and then he killed himself, which I really relate to. <laughs> <laughs> being a living human being. <laughs> um, yeah, that piece was really fun for 
Jack and I, was there a question about that piece? Am I, am I answering a question? <laughs> yeah, where was that going? Well, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was just saying that I've seen some works of his. And um, so he, I'd say, occupies more of what I call contemporary performance. But that's uh-huh. just kind of a catch-all phrase. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you take him to his first ballet? Yeah. Then? That's awesome. See, that's great to just suggest to someone that they go with you to a show. Oh, yeah. So I feel like that's, I think that's we all went, it is. We were in the front row because we got, like, bad seats. And, you know, it's, like, not good to be in the front row at state theater it's bizarre mm-hmm. but i remember they did like concerto broco and mm. it was me and jack and david hallberg was with us and i remember like david and i sort of being very much like in agreement about the happenings of the the show mm-hmm. and then jack would always have like he would always sort of gasp or yelp out at like strange <laughs> strange moments That's but awesome. um yeah it was fun it's fun yeah. to watch ballet with Jack because he has a really different idea about it, a really different impression. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, just from my personal experience, whenever I bring non-dancers to performances, I find that they bring so much interesting mm-hmm. perspective, better perspective than I bring, because half the time, maybe I'm checked out or I'm just looking at it from a certain lens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... I have a lot of... When I, when I see dance with with dancers who haven't really taken it upon themselves to to have like a very broad perspective, I find that excruciating. Because mm-hmm. then to try to talk to them about it is just like, oh wow, we have like nothing to talk about. Oh wow, yeah. Because often it's just like, uh, I don't know, I don't want to get into the details. This is going to offend people, but yeah, yeah. You it's don't really have to hard it. to like uh-huh. see see something that, in all honesty, I probably would have loved when I was in high school or college mm-hmm. to have like an adult person be like, wasn't that amazing? Wasn't that incredible mm-hmm. to see people do that with their bodies? I'm like, not really. Yeah. yeah. But I know what you mean. can, um, I mean, if somebody doesn't like a piece, right. And somebody does, can't that sometimes make for an interesting discussion? I guess if oh, yeah. each person tries to at least delve into for sure. like why, I mean, we saw this piece at impulse stunts that was really hard for me. <laughs> and, and I just loved it. Just <laughs> So it was by Simon Mayer called Sons of Sissy. Sons of Sissy, that's what it was. He performed it previously, and it was all nudity, and then there was a chaotic scene towards the end. It was very European. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Very European. (laughs) It was super interesting to see. Like, I think we had an interesting discussion about it. But some interesting debates with uh, Jessica's husband, too, who had Mm -hmm. takes on some of the... Um, pieces that were staged in a museum. I don't know. Like I thought him. What did he? What was the word? Sophomoric that he brought into the discussion about this art. I mean, I thought that was kind of interesting. At least. I mean, I think criticism, but not about that. The piece. best way to like become more open and more liberal in your way of viewing dance is just like see all of it. Like yeah. the more you see, the easier it becomes to to watch. Yeah. Definitely. Um, so we, we've we been throwing around the terms uptown and downtown. I actually mm-hmm. didn't know that uptown was. I, I've heard of downtown dance, but I didn't know that there was a term uptown for well, it's, the, it's funny. the opposite. It's just the opposite. But, but it, yeah. it actually does kind of correspond, doesn't it? Because, like, Lincoln yeah. Center is uptown. And it's then, real life. Yeah. It is. <laughs> and it's funny. I try not to use that term, but sometimes mm. it's really just the best way to describe yeah. something. I don't know yeah. how to categorize dance, especially dance in New York. There's a lot. There's a lot of it. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, sometimes it's just easy to be like uptown, downtown, but there's certainly a lot of things right in the middle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I suppose. Um, is it meant to be geographic, like precise? I think so. And is the term now used beyond New York or just in New York? Because that's also a great question. I I have to look into these terms. I'm like very (laughs) curious about this. But that would be interesting. I wouldn't be surprised if it does occupy maybe just a more general definition of dance uptown versus downtown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By now. But High it probably low. originated here. <laughs> yeah. Upstairs, downstairs. Mm-hmm. The British the, drama. The servants of dance. <laughs> like Jack Ferber. <laughs> um, but I, I appreciated a word that you used, um, stigma. Mm. I think that is something that is very prevalent. Mm-hmm. A lot of people stigmatize a lot of different parts of the dance world. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we all have our own biases. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. And I I do like to see everything. And I was putting together a fall performance calendar 
for this season. And I even said to myself, like, you know, even though I, I do see a wide range of performances, I'm still not seeing enough of the, like, real New York performers, like mm. spaces like Roulette or something mm-hmm. like that. I, I don't see enough of those, and I would like to see more. So for me, that was, like, recognizing my own bias. I only see yeah. sort of the big theater modern dance and ballet. Well, I think it's yeah. good to, like, come to New York if you're interested in dance, see as much as you can, and then you can start to refine that so you're not exhausting yourself. Mm-hmm. So then you're just going to the things that, you know, you know you're going to enjoy that aren't going to drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's good. I know I just said, like, see all the dance you can, but maybe mm-hmm. see all the dance you can when you're not exhausted. Totally. And old. <laughs> Which is never in this yeah. city, so don't see anything ever. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But I do find myself having conversations with people just about this idea of stigma and applying this sort of hierarchy to dance. Yeah. And mm. um, and that was sort of a conversation we had previously about impulse dons mm. with my husband. Mm. And, you know, my view is always nothing is right or wrong. Nothing is better or worse than something else. Mm-hmm. But people are coming from a different place, a different impulse, different processes. Right. And I, I always try to have that conversations with people. And have you noticed, you know, if you come across stigma, like have conversations like that come up or? Oh, all the time. Mm. I just recently was at um, the Mark Morris Mozart piece at the Mostly Mozart Festival, which I have to say is like one of the best performances I've seen in a very long time. And I don't know if it's just like where I am in my dance viewing Mm. self, but right now that kind of dance is very appealing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, at times... I won't give you my review, but whatever. Mm-hmm. During one of the intermission, or there was only one intermission. During the intermission, I was talking to a group of um, ballet people who were there, which mm-hmm. was sort of heartening to see. Mm-hmm. Not that, like, I mean, Mark Morris is ballet, but, like, mm-hmm. I was saying that, actually, to one of them, and they were like, no, it's not. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how, how is it not? It's like, everything moves through ballet positions. Totally. So I think it's, like, hard for that brain to to make that connection when you're so deeply inside of like affected ballet world Mm -hmm. to be like oh these people with bare feet are doing ballet no that connection doesn't get made somehow even Mm -hmm. though they're doing like you know saute arabesque tendu arms through first position which Mm. is all ballet Mm -hmm. totally and a very famous ballet choreographer was there and was like i only wish that you know it was being danced by ballet dancers Oh. And I felt heartbroken because yeah. I thought, my oh. God, this is the state of dance in the world right now. This person is being given huge opportunities and is so utterly naive. Absolutely. Um, but isn't that, I haven't seen the show, so I always think of something that's based in ballet technique but doesn't come across looking like what I would see in a romantic ballet as mm-hmm. contemporary. Isn't that roughly correct right like terminology was it contemporary um, dance i don't know i or contemporary I have ballet with the if word you will. contemporary because uh. when i i put sometimes i put ballet into different boxes which i shouldn't mm-hmm. do but i feel like this world of contemporary ballet is the world of ballet that was sort of begun by william forsyth and okay. then mm-hmm. is all of the all of his disciples from then on mm-hmm. which okay can be good and can be terrible Mm -hmm. but i think then there's another kind of ballet called neoclassical ballet which is a world that like ratmansky and justin peck occupy um Mm. which is more it's more rooted in an exploration of like classical ballet movement Mm -hmm. i don't know how this is hard to explain it is hard to explain you're actually explaining it excuse me you're explaining it very well and those are really good distinctions sort of like the william forsyth school of thought and Mm -hmm. then there's the neoclassical school of thought it's like the William Forsyth school of thought is like, and this is no offense to him. He's yeah. really, you know, mm-hmm. a groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. But it's like, it's using the ballet body to do cool moves and sometimes on point. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's a great way to describe what I was thinking of. Something that's like different movements, but it's kind of rooted in ballet technique it's or ballet body. It's still a body yeah. that has been informed very very yes. heavily by ballet. And for some yes. reason, there are some shows where I see people trying to come up with kind of innovative movement based on the ballet canon, but they're using ballet dancers who just look like they're... It just looks awkward to me. It's mm-hmm. just... I don't know. Somehow their ballet is not 
informing this new movement very right. well. But then there are all of my favorite choreographers these days. It's like no, nobody's really just doing strictly ballet anymore unless they're putting on an old romantic ballet. Right. The best of them, I don't know what kind of dancers they're using, really. I mean, you can tell that they have classical ballet training, but maybe they've just been doing other forms of dance as well for so long that they can move more easily through this movement Mm -hmm. that's sort of innovative and interesting. Um, I mean, Mark Morris is in this very singular place inside of the ballet world because it is dancers in bare feet, mm -hmm. so immediately you're like, this is modern dance, but the vocabulary is very clearly from ballet yeah definitely and um the dancers all have you know a lot of ballet training they don't necessarily have traditionally what we think of a ballet instrument i feel like they're they're doing ballet so purely that it's almost unrecognizable to Mm. the modern ballet eye Mm. because what we're seeing them do is so so correct and so pure yeah that's Hmm. a very good point Interesting. I'm just trying to understand. I wish I'd seen the show. Um, the person who said, no, it's not ballet. Oh, like, I can yeah. see where, but <laughs> but I could see where definitions are so tricky now. Like, maybe maybe that discussion kind of has to be had. Like, what what do we want to define as ballet, and then what do we mm-hmm. define as contemporary or neoclassical? Or maybe we yeah. should just forget about all yeah, the I think terminology. Like the d- defining things as one thing or another can just be really complicated, and, and we have so much nowadays, it's like, mm-hmm. it's kind of uh, fruitless to, to try to define everything it's too complicated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so we will work through everyone's stigma one person at a time <laughs> oh, i hope so i yeah. mean i don't know mm-hmm. why i want everybody to be more open-minded i just i hate having conversations with people who are ignorant yeah it's true like it might be a valid conversation because of the fact that not everyone's exposed but you'd have way more interesting and better conversations if everyone was like more broadly exposed completely yeah. and i think we we would find we would be able to move into new dance forms and and if people would be more open-minded and more collaborative and i mean so much has been done and i think everyone's always looking to you know what's next and what can be new and how can ballet companies move into this next century and do things that are actually interesting and mm-hmm. and not continue using these same choreographers over and over again but the yeah. efforts that are being made are so minute I feel like people were taking much bigger risks, you know, four decades ago than they are now. Totally. Everyone's just existing in their silos and they just want to stay there almost. And so if I were to create a dance piece 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. it would look a certain way. But if I were told create a dance piece now, it would look totally different. And that's just because I have been exposed to so much more Mm. choreographers Mm -hmm. and types of dance and what I would create now would be way more interesting Mm -hmm. than 10 years ago. And if I'm just, you know, speaking for myself, just trying to put myself in other people's shoes, but I agree with you if other choreographers or choreographers in general who exist right now in silos were to branch out a little bit, um, how interesting would their works become? We work with this choreographer, uh, Matthew Neenan, who's resident choreographer for Pennsylvania Ballet and makes a lot of work at Ballet X, which is a company he started, and mm-hmm. but anyway, he sees a lot of theater and a lot of dance, and he comes to his work with so many ideas. I can't help but just applaud him for that every time because yeah. I'm so glad to see someone just trying things, yeah. and you know, often it's inside of a ballet vocabulary, and that's his background. Yes, so I'm I'm happy to see people sort of expanding on the knowledge they already have. I agree. His choreography has always interested me for that reason, because he is very much a classical ballet mm-hmm. choreographer, but he is really doing new, interesting elements. He tries things, yeah, which is great. I think that you have to. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, but yeah, you know, there's been all this discussion in the past few years about like bringing modern dance choreographers into the ballet world and exploring like what does that mean and Mm. they did the dance space platform a couple years ago that claudia that claudia developed in order to have you know begin these conversations between people from the balanchine world and people from the cunningham world and people from the judson world and Mm -hmm. i mean i think it was it was great and i was it was really interesting but it doesn't seem to I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like yeah. it's a slow roll. I mean, I know right now Jody Melnick is working on a piece with three principals or three dancers from New York City Ballet, and that 
it's going to be a Guggenheim works in process, and I'm interested mm-hmm. to see what comes of that. Um, right. I don't understand why a company like New York City Ballet wouldn't be like, Jody Melnick, why don't you just come make a dance? I mean, they yeah. do like six creations a year or something. I mean, what do yeah. they have to lose? And don't mm-hmm. they have only one female choreographer on their bill this uh-huh. <laughs> oh yeah, that's our other. Or even more logical, like right Pam, call up Pam Tanowitz. She makes like the most formal modern dance imaginable. It's mm, like totally. uses ballet, uses Cunningham. It'll translate beautifully onto ballet bodies. Totally, and Very that's ballet what I've always thought when I am trying to tell the difference, you know, between these people who like look good doing that choreography and those who don't. Both being informed by ballet, I wonder if it's the choreographer coming from. A background that's not just ballet, because it's often when I, it's a choreographer who's really coming from a strict classical ballet background and starts choreographing movement based on ballet that's not strictly ballet, that it doesn't, it often doesn't look that good. Mm. That's one of my theories. I haven't, I haven't gotten to the bottom Wait, of it. Say that again, I didn't get it. So I think maybe it, <laughs> like maybe it has to do with the choreographer, and if they're coming from a background where they're exposed to more traditions, including more modern works, uh-huh. then their work will look better. Um, I see, I see, I see. on dancers who have a ballet background. But a lot of these choreographers who are only coming from ballet and then trying to step outside the box a little bit, still drawing on ballet right. technique, like a lot of times it looks, it looks awkward. So I wonder if maybe I'm trying to pin it on the dancers, but it should be on, maybe it has more to do with the choreographers and their background. Right. Mm-hmm. It could be. I don't know. Um, but I love the idea of just inviting someone to a show because I think with the saturation of shows and the fact that none of us have time to even like look at some of the works we know we won't be as interested in if someone says oh do you want to go to this with me on this night and you're free and it's something you wouldn't have otherwise looked at that's like that's your in I feel like I've been doing that with you, Clara. Yes, you have been. <laughs> I very carefully read now the links that you send me. <laughs> Before she would just go to anything. <laughs> oh, oh, sure. Or you're being more discerning. <laughs> well, you know, I just know she's probably trying to trick me into something. <laughs> no, I, you know I always go if I can't. When you it's good me. to get tricked because you never know. Exactly. Yeah, you never know. You really yeah. don't. Yeah. And I do make a point of trying to see someone new something new at least like two or three new choreographers each season just Mm. there's so many to see i'm not going to see them all no but i really do try what are you seeing what are you going to see coming up um this season so i'm going to see maria hasabi at the kitchen Mm -hmm. because i haven't really seen her work before so that's me for you (laughs) (laughs) that's me branching out Uh uh-huh good um there are a lot of exciting performances coming up this season, but more or less like choreographers that are pretty established. Yeah. Are you going to go see John Jasper's a band? I am. Just go see that, Clara. Yeah. Okay. I already got two tickets. I always get two tickets to all my shows, and then I invite some person. You found <laughs> them out. What else am I going to see? Cool. I don't know. Um, Shenway is performing oh, yeah. at band. Oh, I see that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, we used to dance yeah. with Shenway. I did. Mm-hmm. So I'll go see my friends. Mm-hmm. John Jaspers. I'm going to go to see Anna Trace to Cures Mocker. Me too. At BAM, one of my faves. Yeah, cool. me too. I'll probably go see I'm Kyle's show her. at BAM. Mm-hmm. Although, unfortunately, I think Kyle's show at BAM is sold out because I looked oh, for tickets and it I said <laughs> only standing room. <laughs> standing um, room? Are they selling standing room? Oh, I don't even know. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? I have... I have my City Ballet season tickets. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go to them a few times. Oh, good. Cool. I'll, I'll probably go to ABT. Mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I just go as they come. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, and there's a lot. That's good. And um, C.D. Larby Cherkawi uh-huh. is performing. I always don't know if I'm saying his name oh, correctly. You guys, is today the day you have to buy Fall for Dance tickets? Yeah, we oh, missed it. Yeah. It was at 10.30 a.m. So we'll call after. Yeah. Because mm. he has a piece at Fall for Dance? Um, it's in the White Light Festival, oh. and it's being performed two nights, hmm. and it's called Babel something. Um, and, you know, he's obsessed with, like, communication mishaps, like, in his pieces, so it mm-hmm. makes perfect sense that he's tackling that topic. So I'm excited to see that. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, there's so much this season. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I can't keep track of it all. I'm just trying to take care of myself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and my wallet. <laughs> Oh God. Mm-hmm. I've had a to-do item to sit down and like arrange my fall dance schedule, and I keep just pushing it back because I'm worried that people are going to sell out. But at the same time, I haven't had time yet to sit Go down and look at everything. Go see the quadrille pieces at the Joyce. It's yeah. Roseanne Bradlin, Terry O'Connor, 
Pam Tanowitz, Lonnie Landon, and they right. each have oh. their own evenings, mm-hmm. and should be great. Okay, That's great. Yeah. yeah, nice. Also, Harry <laughs> and I designed Svi Gothiner's new piece for Bam, oh. so go see that. Mm-hmm. Um, go see Scared So Fantastique. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just selling my own work. Please no, do, please. Um, <laughs> should have opened with that. <laughs> something else. What else have we designed? I cannot recall. Well, Pam's piece is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Always is. Oh, and if you can make it to Geneva this spring, we have a piece for Pontus Lidberg. Really? Oh, cool. yeah. When? April. Late. Oh. Wait. Let me think about that. Late April, early May. Okay, I'll squish it in between Cuba and Australia. Okay. My boss will love it. <laughs> like, I'm just gone. <laughs> Not in the office this spring. That's yeah, so fun. Wow. Are you going? Yeah. Oh, We've already been. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, they are. Well, they made us come to a presentation of the designs, which mm. is never never heard of that before. Oh, really? It was strange. Yeah. But I mean, it was sort They're of up. interesting. We had to like go into this fancy room and mm. lay out all the drawings and fabrics for the whole theater team, like from the top to the bottom. I mean, like everybody, like the director of the theater, the people from the mm. shop, the people from all the stage technicians, etc. Mm. And then everybody looked at everything to try to figure out budgeting and. Um, yeah, it was, wow. yeah, it was strange. It doesn't usually, there's not usually like a presentation, not very formal. Is that because Mm. Europe has more money and takes its stance more seriously? Money for the art. I mean, I I think that's true, but I think just this theater in particular is Mm. run by some very grand individuals. Wow. Mm. Grand individuals. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny. Nice. All right. Well, I think as usual, we could go on for another hour or two. But we probably should cut ourselves off. Oh dear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any final words, anyone? I don't know. Go see dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> see it all. And actually, we'll say this in our intro. But uh, Jessica designed an awesome performance calendar. Uh, fall performances. It's like five pages. There's like everything on there. Go to our website and click on the button to download it, and you will be so happy you did. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for coming. My back. pleasure. Thanks for every time. All yeah. right.